You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. We have crowned a new national champion in college basketball last night. The UConn Huskies just run roughshod over this year's NCAA tournament field. And it was impressive. We'll go over that. We're going to talk a little bit more about what's going on in the Western Conference playoff race in the NBA. I've got one of the more amazing statistics for you in the NBA this season. And we've got some updates early on in the NBA, or excuse me, Major League Baseball within the first 50 games of the season. How does it compare to the first 50 games last season in terms of runs, stolen bases, time of game? We'll run over all of that for you momentarily. Well, I told you, personally, did not bet the game last night. But as I said, Friday heading into the semifinal game and then in yesterday's podcast heading into the championship game last night, I'm not about to step in front of this UConn train. I'm either going to bet them or I'm not betting the game at all, and I just stayed away from the game. And once again, UConn, double-digit win. In the NCAA tournament, they went 6-0. and Five of their six wins were by 15 or more. The other one was by 13 or more. That was Saturday's 72-59 win. They covered every game against the Vegas number. I'm sure it's happened before, but it doesn't happen very often where a team goes 6-0 and against the spread in the NCAA tournament. They usually have one competitive game. And UConn, honestly, do you know what UConn's most competitive game was this tournament? The first game against Iona, a 13 seed where they were down by four and a half. Granted, they outscored them by, I believe, 26 in the second half or 24 in the second half, whatever it was. No, I think UConn was down seven. If I'm not mistaken, I could probably go look this up, but I remember because I had Iona in that game, I think they were up 39-32 at half and then lost by 20. Yeah, UConn outscored them by 27 in the second half after Iona was up by seven and a half. Ever since then... So basically halftime of their first game of this tournament, they have been the most dominant team and one of the more dominant champions we have ever seen in this tournament. Now, detractors, naysayers will say, well, Steve, they only beat one team that was a better seed than them. True, they did. Because obviously the first game, they beat Iona, who was a 13 seed. Then they won on and played St. Mary's, who was a five seed. As we know, UConn was the four. Then when Arkansas upset Kansas, they avoided the number one seed in their West region, and they played Arkansas, who was an eight seed. So in their first three games, they had beaten a 13, a 5, and an 8. Their fourth game was the win over Gonzaga. That was over a three seed, a seed that was lower than them, and it was their biggest win of the tournament. Then in the Final Four and the National Championship game, they beat two five seeds. So, look... It's not easy to win six games. Only one team does it every year in the NCAA tournament. I'm not going to take anything away from them. I don't care about the seeds of any of these teams. Did you watch any of the games? Did the eye test tell you anything? This team was fucking dominant. And I think they beat probably quite a few teams in the past. Yes, they're not the greatest shooting team. But boy, they absolutely swarm you defensively. And you saw the stat all night. You saw all the announcers talking about it. San Diego State can't get a layup. They cannot get an easy basket against these guys. And it wasn't just them. It was all tournament. You've got Adama Sanogo in there, who's a big, who's athletic. Yeah, he's only 6'9", but he's athletic. He blocks shots. And then when he comes out of the game, you throw in a 7'2 freshman. 
that blocks shots and can get up and down the floor. And Donovan Klingon, I'm sorry, this was a really good team. And you know what's interesting? Talked about it a little bit before when you know they had won three or four games, and I'm like, wow, they look impressive. This is now UConn's fifth national championship since 1999. No other program in college basketball has more than three, and only one has that, and that's Duke. Kansas has two, Villanova has two, Florida has two, but since the year 2000, or since 99, when UConn won their first of five, this is the most dominant college basketball program in America. You can talk about blue bloods all you want. The Kentuckys, the Kansases, the Dukes, the UCLA's. UCLA hasn't won a title while UConn has won five in the last 24 years. Does that mean that UCLA, you could be like, well, UCLA, storied tradition, John Wooden, Lou Alcindor. Yes, we're not living in 1960 and 1970 anymore. It's 2023. Nobody cares about your titles from the 70s, Bruin fans. I hate to tell you that. You know, if you ask who is a blue blood I'm almost saying that I think we can almost start saying that UConn is kind of a blue blood now in college basketball. When you've won five national championships in a span of 24 years, how many other programs in the history of college basketball outside of UCLA have even done that? I just said that they've won twice as many national championships since 1999 than every other program in America outside of Duke. Duke's won three since 99. UConn has now won five. That is some serious, serious dominance and a program that has to be considered the best program of the last quarter century. How do you argue with that? You know, it's almost like, you know, going to baseball and, you know, you talk about, World Series champions and the Yankees and this tradition of the Yankees and 37 World Series. And it's like, great, Yankee fans. You've won one fucking World Series in the last 23 years. You won in 2009. 22 years. Since 2001, you've won one World Series. Your biggest rival has won four since 2001. Yes, the Red Sox were cursed for 80 years or whatever it was. 1918, was it the last time they won it before 2021 or 2001? Now they've won four World Series in a time where you've won one. So it's like, again, congratulations on all your world championships. But when we talk about sports and we talk about sports daily and in this world that we live in where it's a what can have you done for me lately attitude I'm sorry Yankee fans you've done shit in 22 years you make the playoffs every year you win one in 2009 it's kind of like the Dodgers it's like great I love the Dodgers they're my team they win the NL West every year and make the playoffs every year and they have one World Series to show for it in the last 10 years and that was in a 60 game season during COVID I, you know I History, great, but nobody's scared of the Yankees. And I don't think anybody is too scared of Duke, North Carolina. I just don't think, well, how many, how many times has North Carolina won it? I might have skipped them. 
They won it in 2017. They won it in 2009 and 2005. So my bad. Two teams have three titles in the time that UConn has five. Duke and North Carolina both have three. Everyone else has two or less. So it's just it's kind of what I'm saying. Like, hey, in the last quarter century, University of Connecticut, most dominant college basketball program in America. Last quarter century in baseball, Red Sox have the most World Series titles. They have four. Giants won three in a span of five years. 2010, 2012, and 2014. Like, you know, I, I it's what have you done for me lately? And regular season is just like, great. You're a great regular season team. Congratulations. But props go out to UConn. Danny Hurley, the least, the less heralded of the Hurley brothers, as Bobby won national championships at Duke, back-to-back national championships with Duke. He's head coach at Arizona State now. Danny Hurley was a point guard at Seton Hall, worked his way up, coached at Wagner, then coached at Rhode Island, and now in his fifth year, or I believe sixth year at UConn, wins his first national title. And my gosh, I can't imagine this will be his only one. Uh, he is a damn good coach, and man, that was a that was about as dominant a run as you can make to the NCAA tournament as we've ever seen. Gosh, I can't I can't think of anything like that off the top of my head. I remember when North Carolina won it a few years back; they were really good. But to say they won every game by double digits, I'm not I'm not sure on that and also covering every game against the spread against the Vegas number as well. That's, that's, you know, not easy to do at all. So congratulations to the Yukon Huskies on a fifth national championship since 1999. Oh, and one last thing in regards to college basketball. One of the other reasons it's my favorite sport and the NCAA tournament is my favorite sporting event of the year. And it's not even close. I know it's corny, I know it's cheesy, I know it's cliche, but seriously, the one thing I look forward to every NCAA tournament is the three-minute, one-shining-moment video that they show after the national champion is crowned. It's just, I don't know how to describe it. I've never even played college basketball before, and I think that's one of the coolest videos ever. I, I know that there are kids who play college basketball who make the tournament whose goal is to make it into a one shining moment video. I've sat at home sometimes and Googled one shining moment and just watched them like five years in a row, the one shining moment video. And you know, you remember all these moments from past tournaments. You're like, oh yeah, I remember when that happened. And oh, that shot. And oh, that player. And oh, that player that got was crying on the court because his team got beat. Like just a cool video. Such a catchy song. Yeah, it's cheesy, but man, how, how how do you not just appreciate college basketball when the one shiny moment video plays? And yeah, again, last night uh, it played, obviously. I watched it and I loved it. All right, let's move on to uh, the NBA real quick because I heard a stat that I did not know, and it's probably one of the more amazing NBA stats that I've ever heard, and 
is about the Atlanta Hawks of all teams. The Atlanta Hawks right now have played 31 straight games within one game of 500. So for 31 straight games, they have either been one game over at 500 or one game under. I mean, that's a hell of a lot of consistency, I guess. But it's also like, how the fuck do you not win three in a row? How the hell can you not win three games in a row? Or lose seven out of eight? Or win nine out of 12? Like, 31 straight games, this team has been one game over, one game under, or at 500. Like, you got to really try to not get more than a two-game winning streak, basically. Well, yeah, here we are. That's almost half of a season. They could finish out this season. I think there's five games left for them. 36, the last 36 games of the season and never win more than two in a row and never be within one game of 500 either way. Crazy, crazy statistic. Now, the other thing that people need to start keeping an eye on, and this is what I find pretty fascinating about the NBA and the Western Conference. You know, we talked about this clusterfuck that's going on in the Western Conference with everybody past the three seed. We know Denver, Memphis, and Sacramento are going to be the top three seeds in the Western Conference. Most teams have about five games left, and there would be something really major that would have to happen for somebody to break into that top three. But here's the crazy thing. The Lakers are playing well. Golden State's playing well. And we just got the news yesterday that Andrew Wiggins is going to come back. For those who don't remember, Andrew Wiggins was the second best player on the Golden State Warriors during their title run last year. He is huge to get back in their lineup. And it's probably one of the reasons they haven't been very good on the road this year at 9-30. and 30. But they're 32-8 and eight in home, at home. They're the defending NBA champions. They've won four titles in the last eight years. You want to play them in the playoffs? Especially if you're a team like the Memphis Grizzlies, who have never beaten them in a playoff series. The Sacramento Kings, who, great year, 47-31 and 31 right now. Mike Brown's probably going to win Coach of the Year in the NBA, but this is also a team that had made the playoffs in, I believe, 16 years or 18 years. So while they had a great regular season, it means absolutely nothing come regular season, and I just can't see them. Right now, if the playoffs started today, the Kings would be facing the Warriors. I'm telling you right now, the Warriors would be favored to win that series, I think, in Vegas. Maybe it's even money. But they're not going to favor the Kings over the defending NBA champions. I don't care how many more games the Kings won than the Warriors, which is only six. As bad as the Warriors have played on the road all year, they're 41-38. and 38. The Kings are 47-31. and 31. Kings have only won six more games than them. I can guarantee you there's no way Vegas is going to make Sacramento Kings the favorite, even though they'd be the three-seed playing the six-seed Warriors. If Sacramento plays Golden State, I'm telling you right now, Golden State's going to be favored to win that series. And they might as and they might win it. In fact, I'd be surprised if they didn't win it. And that's no knock to Sacramento. You guys have had a great season. You got a great young, young nucleus with De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis, Malik Monk. I mean, they are fun to watch. They're the highest scoring team in the NBA. They're averaging 121 points a game, but they don't stop anybody. And we all know playoff basketball is so much different than regular season basketball. You have to get stops in the playoffs, and Sacramento isn't stopping anybody. You can win a few games in the playoffs. Maybe you win a series. If it's against Golden State, I don't think you do. But you could maybe win a series by just outscoring people. But to get to the NBA Finals, to win an NBA championship, 
it, it's not happening for Sacramento, and they better hope. Right now, the Clippers and the Golden State Warriors are tied at 41-38. and 38. So Golden State could technically move up to the five, and the Clippers play Sacramento in the first round, and I think Sacramento would have a much better chance to beat a Clippers team. Hell, the Lakers, though, are 40-38. and 38. They are tied with the Clippers and the Warriors in the loss column. The Lakers could go up to the five seed or the six seed or currently stay at the seven, but here's the amazing thing. I don't know if it's amazing, but the Western Conference playoffs are going to be really interesting because you've got your top three seeds of Nuggets, Grizzlies, Kings, but the three teams that I don't think anybody wants to play right now are the Suns, the Warriors, and the Lakers. The Suns, for obvious reasons, playing well ever since they acquired Kevin Durant. Who wants to play a Suns team with Kevin Durant healthy in the playoffs? Probably nobody. The Warriors, as I just said, playing well towards the end of the season, defending NBA champions, and getting Andrew Wiggins back. And now you got the Lakers with LeBron back, with AD playing out of his mind, Ever since they made those trades at the trading deadline, they've been a much better team. Are the Lakers going to win the NBA championship this year? Probably not. But the three teams at the top of the Western Conference, Denver Nuggets, Memphis Grizzlies, Sacramento Kings, are not playoff tested. These are not teams that have ever been in recent years, clearly, to the NBA Finals. Are they ready to beat teams like the Suns, the Warriors, and the Lakers? I don't know. I think your Western Conference Finals is going to be, we'll see. If Phoenix, if they stay right now the way they are, Phoenix would be the four seed, Golden State would be the six. So Phoenix would play the Clippers in the first round. Let's say Phoenix wins. Phoenix would then play Denver in the second round. So yeah, I think your Western Conference Finals are going to be Phoenix and Golden State. I don't care what the Nuggets, Grizzlies, and Kings did in the regular season. I don't think they're good enough to beat those teams yet in a playoff series. We shall see. There's no guarantee of anything. Maybe this is Denver's year. Maybe they finally get to the NBA Finals. But it's just interesting that the three hottest teams and the three teams that nobody wants to play are seated fourth or worse in the Western Conference because they didn't have great regular seasons due to injuries. And in the Suns' case, they didn't get Kevin Durant until the trading deadline. In the Warriors' case, injuries throughout the whole year to Steph Curry. Andrew Wiggins has missed the last 20 games or something ridiculous like that. And then the Lakers didn't get good until they made all those trades at the trading deadline. And now they are a solid, solid basketball team that is healthy heading into the playoffs. So there you go. As for the Dallas Mavericks, they should just sit everybody the rest of the season and go into the lottery and just blow this thing up uh, as they head into next year. That's my opinion. And finally, some baseball notes that come through the first weekend of baseball 50 games were played over the weekend, and ESPN writer Jeff Passan put this out on his Twitter feed yesterday. thought it was interesting. Through the first 49 games of 2022 versus the first 50 games of 2023. So the first weekend of baseball. The times of the game last year, the average time was three hours and nine minutes. This year, two hours and 38 minutes. For those that can't do the math... That is 31 minutes shorter. Batting average, team batting average. In 2022, through the first weekend, teams batted 230. 2023, they batted 245. Stolen bases. 2022, 
43 attempts by all the teams in baseball in the first weekend. This year basically doubled that, 84 attempts, and were successful on 70 of them, an 83% success rate. Last year, of those 43 attempts, 29 were successful, 67.4. So more than a half hour are shaved off the games with more offense and more action to them, which is exactly what this pitch pitch clock is supposed to do. Teams are running more. The success rate is going to drop, and there's been less than an average of one violation a game of the pitch clock, whether it was by the pitcher or the batter. So, yes, it is a very small sample size. But as I spoke with Jason Stewart about this on Friday, he seems to think that more runs and more base runners equal longer games, and it's just it's just not the case. We've seen this has already been tried and tested in the – minor leagues for whole seasons and 23 or 25 minutes was shaved off the time of games down there. It's not going to be any different in the major league baseball. You're going to have, and the runs are going up batting average is going up. Runs are going up, but that's not what made games long. What made games long was numerous pitching changes, pitchers taking their time when runners did get on base you know, not being able to communicate with the catcher, calling time, batters calling more than one timeout. That's what's the, that's where the thing's being saved. That's where all time is being saved and why these games are getting so many minutes shaved off them. Because everyone's running on the same pitch clock. You can have your offense. You can have runners on base. That's fine. That's not making the game long. I don't know why Jason doesn't understand that. <laughs> he seems to think, you know, he, he texted me yesterday. He said, I think the batters will adjust. I'm like, but what are they going to adjust to? They've already adjusted. We're seeing the numbers. Team batting average is up. Runs are up. What are they going to adjust to? You're not going to all of a sudden see Major League Baseball games averaging 11, 12 runs a game. You're still going to have games that finish 9-6, and you're still going to have games that end 4-1. It's going to be the same. But with everybody on a pitch clock, the games inevitably have to be faster. You can't say they won't be faster. It's been proven. It's been proven in the small sample size through the first weekend. He seems to think like by the end of the year, oh, it'll even out. And, uh, you know, you maybe knock five minutes off the game. I'm telling you, you can right now mark it down. By the end of this year, end of September, when all the games are compared in 2023 compared to 2022, you will see that a minimum – of 20 minutes will be shaved off every the average baseball game, if not more. I think it's going to be between 20 and 25. The first weekend, we're at 31 minutes. It's not all of a sudden going to go down to five minutes like Jason seems to think. So, um, And I don't mean to pick on him about this. I give him shit on this all the time. But, yeah, I, it's great seeing these numbers, and it's great seeing that it's being proven that it's not runs and base runners that make the game longer. It's pitchers and batters taking their sweet-ass time, and that is now ending with the pitch clock. So looking forward to that and see how that plays out the rest of the year. But, yeah, we can expect 20 to 25 minutes being shaved off the average game for this year. Thank you very much for everybody who listened. Please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple podcast. Very much appreciated. Please pass it along to your friends, anybody who's a sports fan. Going to keep this thing going as long as we can. So appreciate you listening. Thank you very much. And remember, sports will always be 
the greatest reality show on television. See you! You're the best around.